their hope. We, uh, as, as many of you know, Trish and I have four children, and uh, it goes boy, boy, girl, boy. And when you have a girl, things change. Uh, different things get introduced into your life. One of those things is the story of Cinderella. We have a little book about Cinderella. Now, most of you are very familiar with that story. Many of you know that story probably by heart. But Cinderella is staying with her wicked stepmother and wicked stepsisters. And Cinderella is more or less a slave. And so she is told all these chores that she has to do. And the stepmother and the stepsisters do literally nothing except command her what to do. Well, one day the prince sends out this edict that all the women in the kingdom are to come to a ball. And at this ball, he will choose his wife. And so Cinderella gets very excited about this. And the wicked stepmother says, you can go if you finish all of your chores. And then she gives her all of these crazy chores uh, many of them she had done the day before, like uh, cleaning the, the, uh, the curtains was one of them. Um, but, but it gets to the time to leave for the ball, and Cinderella has just finished her chores. And she is disheartened because she has not had an opportunity to make a dress for herself. And so she goes upstairs, and she walks into her room, and she finds that her mice friends have made her a dress. And so she takes off her slave clothing and she puts on this beautiful, beautiful dress. And she goes downstairs and she says, I'm ready for the ball. And her stepsisters say, that is my scarf, which they just thrown away and they rip it off. Those are my pearls, which they just thrown away and rips them off. And so her dress is tattered. And so discouraged again, she goes into the garden and her fairy godmother shows up. And her fairy godmother makes a pumpkin into uh, a what's it called? Uh, carriage. carriage. Thank you. And makes the mice into horses to pull the carriage. And then Cinderella says, wait, I still have this ugly dress on. And the fairy godmother takes off that dress and puts on a beautiful dress for Cinderella. She goes to the ball. You know the story. She wins the heart of the prince. And then she has to run out at midnight because everything's going to change back. And so she she runs back into I forgot the name of it again. What is it? A carriage. Thank you. And it takes off and the carriage turns into a pumpkin. The horses turn into mice and her beautiful dress turns back into her horrible, wretched dress. In today's passage, Paul is going to talk about putting on righteousness, putting on holiness. And he's using the illustration of clothing so that every time we get dressed, we would remember Ephesians chapter four. You see, what we wear is very important. What we wear tells a lot about us. Cinderella understood it. And so that's why she did not wear her slave clothes to the to the ball. You know, if you saw me and I was wearing a white coat, you would say that guy is a doctor. Right. Or or he works behind the meat counter at festival, one or the other. Right. If I wore a clerical collar, you'd say that is a a priest. Uh, if I wore a tool belt, you would say that's a carpenter. And so what we wear is very important. It tells a lot about us. And what Paul says today is that what you put on tells a lot about you, who you are, who you worship and what you do. And so we're going to look at that in Ephesians chapter 4. If you would open up to Ephesians chapter 4, if you're in the Red Bible, it's on page 978. As Paul encourages us to put off our old self with its sin 
and addictions and attitudes and put on our new self of righteousness and holiness and joy. Ephesians chapter 4, verse 17 through 24. Now this I say and testify in the Lord that you must no longer walk as the Gentiles do and the futility of their minds. They are darkened in their understanding, alienated from the life of God because of the ignorance that is in them. Due to their hardness of heart, they have become callous and have given themselves up to sensuality, greedy to practice every kind of impurity. But that is not the way you learned Christ. Assuming that you have heard about him and were taught in him as the truth is in Jesus. To put off your old self, which belongs to your former manner of life and is corrupt through deceitful desires and to be renewed in the spirit of your mind and to put on the new self created after the likeness of God in true righteousness and holiness. Let's pray. Gracious God, as we come to your text, it is evident that we fail, that through our hard heartedness, we often live according to our old self, that we have not put off the new self with righteousness and the holiness God, we pray that your truth would set us free from sin today, that it would set us free from the penalty of sin, but also from the power of sin in our lives. Help us to that end this day. In Jesus' name, amen. You have heard it said, when in Rome, do as the Romans do, right? You've heard it said, walk like an Egyptian, right? Thank you for laughing. It's always good to have one person that laughs. You've even heard us say, walk this way, right? Stephen Tyler. Here, Paul commands the exact opposite. He says, do not walk like the Gentiles. Now, when he talks about this term Gentiles, he's talking about those who do not know God, those who do not know Christ. For us, we could put in here, do not walk like the Wisconsinites. This is what we could put in here because this was their scene. This is who they were around. And so as Paul is communicating, do not walk like the Gentiles. He's not saying don't be like them in any way. He's not saying Gentiles work in government, so you don't work in government, right? He doesn't say Gentiles wear these types of clothes. You don't wear these types of clothes. But what he is saying is that Gentiles have a man-centered, a man-created life. And he's calling us to live a God-centered, god glorifying life and all that we do. And so that's what Paul focuses on here today when he tells us to put off the old man-centered life and put on the God-centered life, the new life that we have been given in Christ. Now, here's the problem. It is hard to do. (laughs) Change is hard to do. Sin patterns are very, very hard to change. Very hard to change. And so I want to be audacious this morning. I want you to think of the sin in your life. I don't know what it is, whether it be an addiction or an attitude. Maybe it's bitterness. Maybe it's unforgiveness. Maybe it's lust. Maybe it's drunkenness. I don't know what it is. But think of that thing in your life that controls you to a certain extent. The sin in your life that you feel like, I cannot get rid of this thing. I have tried and tried and tried. And it is still controlling me. Think about that as we read through the text today, because there is great hope 
in the gospel that God has and can free us from those attitudes, from those addictions, from those things that we do that we feel so powerless over. And Paul's going to look and he's going to show us how to put off the old self with the old mind and the old heart. And then he's going to show us how to put on the new self with the new mind and the new heart. And so that's what we're going to look at today. First, let's look and see how he tells us to put off the old self. Look in verse 17, if you would, with me, as he tells us how to put off the old mind. He says, now this I say in testifying the Lord that you must no longer walk as the Gentiles do in the futility of their minds. I want to focus on that last part there in the futility of their minds. When Paul is referring to their mind, he is, re- he is uh, inferring something much more than just their intellect, than the, than the mushy stuff between the ears. He's referring to the decisions that they make, the desires that they have, the things that they choose to do in their life, the seed of decision-making and purpose and reason. And he's, his diagnosis of the mind is this, that it's futile, that it is Darkened, that it is depraved, that it is actually vain, that it is void of truth in and of itself. And so he says, do not walk in the futility of your minds according to a depraved mind, one tainted by sin. And then he goes on to explain why we should not do that. Okay, verse 18, he says, they are darkened in their understanding, alienated from the life of God because of the ignorance that is in them. Due to their hardness of heart. He says that their understanding is darkened. There is glimpses of truth in everyone. Because we are created in the image of God. But it is greatly darkened and it is greatly perverted by sin. By our own desires in life. We pervert and we make God and we make truth to suit our needs and our desires. And it goes on to explain the reason why the understanding is darkened is because they are disconnected from life in God. They are disconnected from the truth giver, the one who is truth. You see, all truth, no matter where it is found, is God's truth. Truth belongs to God. And so if you're disconnected from the true source, you have to create truth for yourself. It's kind of like, you know, back a few years ago when computers had you know, monitors and CPUs, that's how our computer still is. But there's, there's a monitor that you look at, and then there's a CPU which has all the information, right? He's saying that the Gentiles, those who do not know God, are like a screen that's not plugged into the CPU. It's not connected to the source of information. It's plugged into the wall, it turns on, it looks nice, but it doesn't have the truth. And he's saying, why would you go to them for truth when I... Am truth. Do not walk according to their truth because it's half truth. Walk according to the truth that I have laid out for you. We live in a world uh, that is called postmodern. In postmodernism, uh, the slogan kind of goes like this, and you've heard it in different ways. What you'll hear is what's true for you is true for you, but what's true for me is true for me. We've all heard that, right, in different various forms. We've all probably even used that in different ways. But what it's just communicating is what God is saying here, that as sinful, fallen human beings, if we are disconnected from the giver of truth, we create our own truth. And when we create our own truth, 
it contradicts one another. <laughs> and so the way of handling it is saying, well, that's true for you. If you believe that, that's good for you. But what's true for me is far different. But God says there is real truth. There is ultimate truth. And it comes from the giver of truth, which is God. Romans 1 talks about this and it, it summarizes it very well. Romans 1, 18 through 22, talking about how the reason why they are disconnected from God, the reason why people are disconnected from the source of truth is because of their hardness of heart, because they have rejected God. And it has affected their knowledge of truth. Romans 1, 18 through 22, it should be up here. You can read along. For the wrath of God is revealed from heaven against all ungodliness and unrighteousness of men, who by their unrighteousness suppress the truth. For what can be known about God is plain to them because God has shown it to them, meaning in creation. As we look around, we can see the evidence of God everywhere. Verse 20. For his invisible attributes, naming his, namely his eternal power and divine nature, have been clearly perceived ever since the creation of the world in the things that have been made. So they are without excuse. They can't say, I had no opportunity to know that God existed because he is all around us in creation. His evidence is. Verse 21, For although they knew God, they did not honor him as God or give thanks to him, but they became futile in their thinking, and their foolish hearts were darkened. And then here it is, verse 22, Claiming to be wise, they became fools. See, what, what he's telling us here, Romans, is that God suppressors are truth suppressors. And so while the world would claim this is how you find life, this is how you find joy, God says, listen, I am the source of truth. Do not follow the half-truths of the world. Follow the truth. Jesus says, I am the way, the truth, and the life. Follow me. So we are called to put off our old mind with, with its depravity, its futility, its vanity. But we're also called to put off our old heart. Look in verse 18 again with me, if you would, the last part. You see here that our heart and our mind are so uh, intricately connected to one another. You can't separate the two. Again, he says, due to their hardness of heart. And then in verse 19, they have become callous and have given themselves up to the sensuality Greedy to practice every kind of impurity. He says that our hearts have been calloused towards God. But it has also become calloused towards sin. I don't know if you remember growing up, there you know, are different stages where you do things that you know you're not supposed to do. And the first time you do it, you feel really bad. For example, let's say you, you went into a store and you stole a piece of candy. You go in there, you eat it, and it's exciting and it's exhilarating, but you also feel guilty. Like, oh man, that was, that didn't feel good. But then as you go back and you steal more and more and more and more, your heart becomes callous to it. It doesn't feel so bad anymore. And that's what he's saying here is that our hearts get calloused to the guilt of sin. But then he goes on and this, this phrase is just, it's so interesting. He says, greedy to practice every kind of impurity. Greedy to practice every kind of impurity. What he's communicating is that we are greedy for sin. That sin never satisfies. That sin always leaves us wanting more. Augustine put it this way. He said the punishment 
of sin is sin. <laughs> it's kind of like a dog who eats chocolate, right? I've heard it said that they will eat chocolate until they get sick or until they die. That's the way sin is. Sin never satisfies. In verse 22, actually, if you look with me, he says, put off your old self, which belongs to your former manner of life and is corrupt through deceitful desires. Why are those desires deceitful? Why do they betray us? Why do they trick us? It's because our sinful desires promise us life, but they always bring death. They promise us freedom, but they always bring slavery. Sin is fun. Sin satisfies for a moment, but it always hooks us in. It always drags us down into more sin, into slavery of sin. You know, there is, I'll just use one example. There is plenty out there. Uh, materialism is one of the things that in America we accept very readily as being good and wonderful. It's part of, uh, you know, the American dream. But materialism often is this thing that drags us down. It's this sin that never satisfies. You know, I know many people, and even myself, when you have a hard day, you think, hey, if I buy this trinket or that trinket, or if I am entertained by a movie this way or that way, it will make everything better. And so instead of running to Christ, we run to the mall or we run to the movie theater, right? All those are good things, but when, when uh, wants become needs to satisfy our soul, we've been enslaved to it. You know, and this is one reason why I think Christmas is something that's so sad in my heart many times is because I think, all right, I'm going to get the things I want and then I'm going to be happy. And so I get the things I want and then two days later, they break, right? Or two days later, I'm bored with it. You know, my wife and I were thinking about getting a Wii and so we asked around, hey, do you like your Wii? And they said, well, we really only use it for Netflix anymore, right? And so you get this Wii thinking, man, this is going to be great. And no one I know still uses their Wii. Maybe you do, but most of the people I know don't. They don't use it anymore because it has this promise of giving us joy and hope, filling a void in our life, but it never does. And so we go and we buy the next thing and the next thing and the next thing and the next thing, hoping that it will fill that void in our heart. If material things and entertainment is your temptation to fill the void in your heart, you will never, ever be satisfied. You will always want more. But Christ is eternally satisfying. And he's saying this is what sin does. Sin leads you greedy for more sin. You can never break the cycle because it never satisfies. It promises life, but it brings death. And so Paul tells us that we should uh, take off our old self. That we should take off the old mind and the old heart and we should put on the new self. Look with me in verse 20 as he talks about putting on the new mind. He says, but that is not the way you learned Christ. Assuming that you have heard about him and were taught in him as the truth is in Jesus. Now, these two verses are very oddly constructed. There are parts of these sentences that are missing in the Greek, which is the original language. And there's three things I want to point out to you here because it's very cool. The first is that he says that we have learned Christ. He doesn't say that you learned of Christ, but that you learned Christ. Not by the mind of the world or the heart of the world, but by the mind of Christ, you learned Christ. What does that mean? Well, you know, we know of Barack Obama, right? 
We know that he likes sports. We know that he's an African-American. We know that he's a very good speaker. We know of him, but we do not know him like his wife does. We know each other. We know our husbands and our wives and our children and our parents. We don't just know of them. We know them. And this is what he's saying here, that we have known Christ, that we have come to know him personally and intimately as the lover of our souls. So we learned Christ. We also heard Christ. Again, here, um, the ESV translates this, that we heard about him. But literally, it's translated, you heard him. You heard Christ. And so the question is, how do we hear Christ? How do we hear Jesus speaking to us? Well, one, we hear it through his word. But secondly, is we hear it whenever truth is proclaimed, because all truth belongs to God. And so God speaks to us. Jesus speaks to us through truth, through the proclamation of his truth. I don't know if you've ever been in church where there was a sermon where you felt like it was just to you. Have you ever felt that? This is God speaking to you. This is Christ speaking to you, his truth. And so we heard Christ himself. It goes on to say that we were also taught in Christ. Again, it's not that we were taught by Christ, but in Christ, meaning that it is through our union with Jesus Christ, this mysterious union that through our salvation, we are united with him and in him, we can learn truth. This tells us the supernaturalness of knowing truth, that we can only learn it, not from depraved minds, but being united to Jesus Christ. This is put powerfully in 1 Corinthians 12, uh, 2, 12 through 16, as he talks about the renewing of the spirit of our minds. It says this, Now we have received not the spirit of the world, but the spirit who is from God, that we might understand the things freely given us by God. And we impart in words, not taught by human wisdom, but taught by the Spirit, interpreting spiritual truth to those who are spiritual. Verse 14, The natural person does not accept the things of the Spirit of God, for they are folly to him, and he is not able to understand them because they are spiritually discerned. The spiritual person judges all things, but in himself to be judged by no one. And then here's the final verse. For who has understood the mind of the Lord so as to instruct him? But we have the mind of Christ. What an interesting phrase. We have the mind of Christ. Through our union with Jesus, through trusting in Christ, Christ has given us his mind to understand and to discern truth. And so what we see is as we grow in our knowledge and understanding of the grace and the glory of God and what it looks like to live that out in our lives, all of it is by Christ. We learn Christ from Christ, by Christ, in Christ. And so all of it is a gift of God's grace. This would, this would provoke us to be humble in everything that we know and understand, right? We would not be arrogant about our theology, but we would know that all of it is a gift of God's grace to us through Jesus Christ. Have you ever thanked God for what you know? Have you ever thanked Jesus for teaching you the wonderful truths of the gospel? The wonderful truths of truth. Because you see, you didn't earn it. You didn't work for it. It was given to you by Christ, that you would know Christ. And so we're told to put on our new mind, but we're also told to put on a new heart. Look at verse 24. It says, and put on the new self, 
created after the likeness of God in true righteousness and holiness. Paul is referring back to the garden when man is created like God, in the image of God, with righteousness and holiness. See, all of that was marred by sin. All of that is marred by the fall. That we are glorious ruins. That while we still portray the image of God, it is greatly disturbed. And so our minds are no longer righteous and pure, but they are depraved, as he says here. But that we are to be renewed, that through Christ we are reborn, we are recreated to grow in the righteousness and the holiness that God originally intended for us. And so we have to put on the new self with the new mind and the new heart, with Christ's mind and God's heart. All right, so we've seen here that there that Paul calls us to put off the old man and to put on the new man. Now, there are four responses for us, okay? The first is this. The first is that we would do nothing, right? That we hear Paul's command, we hear God's command to put off the old self and put on the new self, and we say, you know what? I am going to continue to sin freely. I'm going to continue to pursue my own desires. Some of you may have plans in here to go sin later this afternoon. And you say, I don't care what I'm going to hear at church. I'm going to go do it because it feels good. And God would never ask me to not do something that feels good. And so that's license to sin. We say, you know what? I'm saved by grace. I will go and I will sin freely. The second option that we have is to simply put off the old self. And this is legalism, right? Sometimes we hear this from our parents. All that we hear them say is, don't do this, don't do that, don't do this, don't do that. You hear churches that say, don't do this, don't do that, don't do this, don't do that, right? Their motto is just don't do it, right? The opposite of Nike, just don't do it or just say no, right? And that's what church is. It's just not doing wrong things. The third option is to just put on the new self. And this is hypocrisy. So we we have the old self. And when we're in secret and when we're by ourselves, the old self comes out. But when we come to church Sunday mornings, we put on the new self with what seems to be righteousness and holiness. And then the fourth option, which is the best option, is to put off the old self and put on the new self, which Paul calls renewal. This was very instructive to me. Because where deep, authentic change happens is not when you just put on the new, not just when you put off the old, but when you do both. You see, when we pursue the things of the old man, when we pursue sin, we're trying to fill a void in our life. And when we put off the old self with its sin, there is still a void until we put on the new. You know, it's kind of like if you go to the YMCA and you go to the locker room and you change out of your dress clothes, hopefully you change into your workout clothes, right? (laughs) Hopefully, otherwise you'll get kicked out. But you put off one set of clothing and you put on new. That's what Paul's calling us to do, to put off the old and to put on the new. Or if a doctor says to you, you need to stop eating bacon, it's very bad for your heart. And then you go and you, you smell bacon and you hear bacon and your mouth starts to water. How do you not eat it? Is it simply by just saying, okay, I should not eat bacon? Putting off that desire. Well, that only works for a limited amount of time. But if you put on a new desire to see your kids grow old, to see your grandkids, it replaces that desire. Or maybe you you replace it with a piece of bread or something else. But you put off the old and you put on the new. And so what 
Paul is calling us to, what God is calling us to, is that if we put on, that we should put off materialism and put on generosity. That we should put off alcohol or drugs or whatever addiction is and use that time to put on Christ. Be in His Word. Pray. Get to know Him. Build that relationship with Christ. To put off lust. To put on purity. To put off control and put on patience. To put off jealousy and put on thankfulness and encouragement. And so as we put off the old man, we are called to put on the new man. Now, if you're here and you are wise, you may have the question, how can I do that? You may say, listen, I understand I should put off my old self. I should put off this sin in my life and I should put on the new, but I have been trying and trying and trying and I just don't have it in me. That righteousness, that holiness that God calls us to, that is not in my wardrobe. That's not in my closet. How do I put on what I don't have? And that is a fantastic question because the answer can only be found at the cross. Because you see, while we're called to put off sin and put on righteousness, at the cross, Jesus did the exact opposite of that. The exact opposite. Christ did not put off sin. Put off sin. He put off his righteousness. And Christ did not take on righteousness. He took on your sin. And he took on my sin to pay for in full. And when he put off his righteousness, he didn't just set it on the ground. He put it on those who trust in Jesus Christ. And so we have his holiness. We have his righteousness. It has been imparted to us by Christ. So that when God looks at us, he sees as if we are completely righteous and completely holy as we are called to in this passage. It is not only in our wardrobe, it is who we are in Christ. And so Paul is encouraging us, be who you are. Be who God clothed you to be, perfectly righteous and holy, because this is who you now are in Christ. You know, in the story of Cinderella, there is a final page, the final scene. And Cinderella has a different dress on. Do you know what dress that is? The wedding dress, right? A beautiful, amazing, white dress. One that certainly a slave could not afford. One that certainly came at great cost to the groom. Isaiah 61.10 says this, I delight greatly in the Lord. My soul rejoices in my God for who? He has clothed me with garments of salvation and arrayed me in a robe of righteousness. As a bridegroom adorns his head like a priest and a bride adorns herself with her jewels. If you trust in Jesus Christ, you are the bride of Christ. And if you are the bride of Christ, an outfit has been purchased for you. It is clothing of righteousness and holiness, a garment of salvation that has been given to you. And so you see, as we go out and as we face temptation, which we will, whatever that is, here is what God is saying to you. Put off the old man. I have bought you a new wardrobe. I bought you righteousness and holiness. And it has come at the cost of my only son through his blood. Put on that garment of salvation. Put on my righteousness. Put on 
my holiness. Let's pray. Gracious God, we praise you for purchasing for us righteousness and holiness through the blood of Jesus Christ. Certainly, we could not have earned it, God. Certainly, our sin is so great. God, for those who are here who have sin in their life that is so controlling, so overwhelming, so powerful, for those who are here who feel like there is sin in their life that they just cannot get freedom from, let them know that Christ came, that Christ died for them and that he has given them their righteousness if they trust in him, that he has put it in their wardrobe, God. And so as temptation comes, help us not only to put off our old self, but to put on the righteousness and holiness that was given to us through your son, Jesus Christ. It's in his name we pray. Amen.